welcome to the Inclusive Leader Podcast. The practice of inclusive leadership enables us to tackle the complex challenges of our times. This is the space for conversations about inclusive leadership. I am your host, Jörg Schmitz, and I welcome you to this episode. There are an estimated 1 billion people that experience some form of disability in the world. That's 15% of the world's population, and from my estimation, probably that number is even conservative. Disability inclusiveness is incredibly important when we're building modern workplaces. And yet there is so much work to be done. One person who I've met who opened my eyes to this particular challenge is Jessica Mayer. She has been a tireless advocate for the inclusion of people with disabilities and is very active in educating leaders and encouraging organizations to shift their policies, practices, and culture to become more inclusive of people with disabilities. I am thrilled that she will engage with us in this institute and also the possibility for you to learn from her. Here is my conversation with Jessica. So Jessica, what does it really mean when when organizations say we want to work on our inclusiveness of people with disabilities? What are the kind of things that that organizations need to know, do? And importantly, because we are focused on inclusive leadership, what does it mean to exercise inclusive leadership in the context of people with disability, from disabilities from your perspective? From my perspective, it's very important that we have inclusive of people with disabilities at all ends of the spectrum, like from high to like, from the, we always say from the boardroom to the mailroom. That's the first thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, they uh, also, we need to have people with disabilities being advertised to as a focus of what you want to do as a culture. You know, they bring people with disabilities in. You have to have universities and colleges be more enlightened about how we need to have more people with disabilities in the corporate world. And we also need to have corporate leadership listening to people with disabilities. There has been an enormous push now with these movies that have even come out like Crip Camp and Koya and all of this media frenzy around deaf culture and around people with disabilities. And it really needs to translate into our society If there's no representation in our society, we don't know where to go from there. Yeah. There has to be representation. Yeah, that 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 is such a great point. And that we we can't just, I mean, it, as it is becoming more part of the public awareness through movies and, and so forth, we can't just leave it at that <laughs> at that level and simply say, we need to all ask ourselves in our organizations, are we engaging people with disabilities? I love this this framing of of from boardroom to the 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 mailroom, you said, right? I didn't invent that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> 
but I use it. No, but it's a good, it's, it's a really good uh, reminder that, that when we are talking about, I mean, to some degree, any diversity challenge, that it needs to pervade an organization at every level and it cannot be relegated to a particular level. And then, of course, when, when I think about people with disabilities, there is also a wide range, right, of disabilities that this includes, visible, invisible disabilities. How, how do we, as an organization, even think about that range of disabilities? Well, the thing about having an invisible disability is that nobody really knows until somebody either has like if you have epilepsy, nobody knows that you have a disability until you have a seizure. Then that becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. There is no mechanism for counting wheelchairs. You know, you don't like sit there and count wheelchairs, crutches. You ask people. There's a form in America where you check off a box and say. Do you have the disability? It's supposed to go in a separate legal thing so that they don't have to count you as a person with a disability. But the issue for me is why are people with invisible disabilities so embarrassed about their disability that they don't want to talk about it? And why... As a culture, do we make it so difficult for people with disabilities to talk about it? So that's a whole other question, you know. But but I, I think it is another question because you, you talked about, you know, the kind of the formal processes about being recognized as somebody with or without a disability. But this is actually an interesting point, right? How do we create a culture? an inclusive culture of people with disabilities. And so much is depending upon how open how open we create an environment where we can talk about disability, where we can share our experiences, and especially uh, for people who have a, um, an invisible disability, because people with a visible disability, they don't need to talk about it in a sense. I mean, they do need to talk about it, but, but you're communicating to the world that you're a person with a disability, even if you, you wouldn't be able to hide it in a, in a way. Right. Like, I'm not able to hide that I have CP. You know, I'm able to hide my reading disability, but I'm not able to hide my cerebral palsy. And I think that we grow up in an ableist society, which tells us that being disabled is wrong. So therefore, we feel um, people with disabilities sometimes feel I'm not talking about everybody. I'm talking about sometimes people with disabilities feel shame around their disabilities or have been taught to feel shame around their disabilities in the same way that LGBTQ people are taught to feel shame around their being LGBTQ. So it's a whole shame-based thing. And I think we have to break the stigma yeah. by more people talking about it. 
more people are talking about mental health, more people are talking about visible disabilities, more people are talking about deafness and blindness than ever before. And I think that actually the media plays a really big role in that. And by having people with authentically disabled and uh, who are authentically disabled play those roles is also really important too. Yeah. What strikes me um, in this entire discussion that as inclusive leaders, if I if I come at this again from a from this calling to to, to inclusive leadership, that our job is really to create environments where we reduce stigma, right? Where we where we take stigma out of out of the experiences of employees of people, and where we create environments, systems, processes, um, ways of working that that takes stigma away and normalizes the the idea that that on our teams we have people with multiple disabilities potentially, and and you know just that that's just our normal way of operating. Mm-hmm. What I was thinking about as you were saying that was that the way inclusive leadership can go about doing it is by example, is showing what they want to do. And, you know, maybe if they have a disability, like they say that, most a lot of CEOs have dyslexia because it taught them how to use your brains differently. And how to use your brain differently is something neurodiversity, you know, something that we don't talk about enough in, in this culture. You do it one way, and that's the way we've been doing it for years, and that's it, you know, and without. Having neurodiversity, we wouldn't come up with things like the computer or Apple's, I think. One of the CEOs talks about his dyslexia and how without it, he probably wouldn't have come up with some of these ideas that he had about how to make things easier for people. So I think that they have to talk about it. They're the ones... In charge, they have to start talking about their issues too. And I think that people have to start talking about it, start with a conversation. Well, and it reminds me actually of a CEO that I talked to the other day who, and we talked about, you know, inclusiveness for people with disability. And he was actually. And this was more in a group setting. And this was the first time that he started to talk about his, you know, to your point, dyslexia. And nobody knew for the longest time that that was something that he contended with, you know, in his life. And he never opened up to this, you know, because of what we talked about, the stigma and the the self-labeling and the risk that he perceived in opening up. Now, as a CEO, it's easy to open up about all kinds of things, right? Because in a certain sense, you've you've made it to a level where where it's safe to be vulnerable. But most of the people are not in that fortunate position. <laughs> and most people are somewhere in an organization where they are really trying to avoid the stigma, the shame, evoking all these difficult feelings. 
And I think for people who are who don't have a disability, there is also this notion of how do I approach somebody with a disability? How do I talk about this, right? Maybe can can you say something with what it takes to break through these these complicated perceptions and feelings that people might have around having these conversations? I think what happens is it's all about relationships. I mean, I think you could ask me any questions that you want to, but if I'm out on the street going shopping, I don't want to answer questions about my disability. So it's establishment relationships with people it's not that I'm embarrassed about it I'm just going about my day and I don't want to be pointed out and very interesting I was in an airport can I tell a little story of course and somebody noticed that I was just getting you know between taking out your laptop or whatever you know when you're in an airport you gotta do all the stuff to get for security mm-hmm and just a woman was so nice. She just saw the frustration and she helped me take my laptop out. And they're really not supposed to do that. Supposed to be like, you know, and she helped me take my laptop out and put it in the bins. And it was just so refreshing to see. And I'm always like that when I'm going to security at an airport because I don't want to keep the people waiting behind me and, and, and my anxiety level, like, builds. And I just really appreciated that so much. And I thank her. She's like, no problem, you know. And that's what we need more of. We need more, like, people seeing that people are frustrated and helping. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's, you're not reading minds. You're reading people's body language. You're reading their faces. You're reading the fact that they're having trouble doing something. And even though you know that you're not supposed to touch other people's stuff, it was almost like, thank you. You know, it was like, it was, so it was reading people. What I love about this story is that you talked about, yes, we need conversations, right, in our workplaces around disability, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and that raises awareness. And it needs to be a little more thoughtful than just asking people randomly about their disability, because like you said, you're not always ready to talk about it. But then on the other hand, there is also this skill of observing people, tuning in to people, and then extending extending yourself a little bit um, and making it easier for people a little bit, right? So that's what I'm I'm hearing in what you you said, being observant and attentive, and maybe not just being a standoff person who says this is your job to pull your laptop out, but but to 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 reach out, in other words. Right, and and I just think we just need to have empathy towards each other. In general, not just towards somebody with a disability, just in general. You see an older person trying to walk across the street, you're going to help them walk across the street. It's about reading people. It's about saying, are you okay? You know, and it's also about reasonable accommodation, too. So she was reasonably accommodating me by pulling out my laptop. I don't 
exactly remember what she did, but she was just really helpful. And she's like, you know, thought, you know, it's funny because that was in Montana and in New York where I live, they are the nastiest agents. And the nicest one, we're in Montana, I mean, we're in like a small airport in Montana, it was just so funny, to me at least. Yeah, but it's maybe not an accident because context, the social context we're in, the cultural context all matters in, in when we're talking about these basic skills that we need to cultivate. So I know that you're obviously helping organizations a lot with developing those kind of cultures and helping people build skills. And that's what what I so appreciate about what you're doing. Can you talk a little bit, how did this become your focus? Just as a, as a out of curiosity, I'm, I'm you know, why, why this and not something else? Uh, why this? When I graduated from college years ago, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to tell people how no, long ago. it was a really long time ago. Anyway, there was no ADA. There was no such thing really as disability pride. And for our international listeners, I just want to say ADA is the Americans with Disability Act, right? And there's also the DDA the Disability Discrimination Act, which was in England and I think Australia, passed there. So there's a lot of countries that have similar legislation that are actually based on the ADA. And there was no such thing as any of this stuff. There was a rehab act which said that places that had government contracts had to comply with the employment part of the the rehab act, which was to hire more people with disabilities and not discriminate against people with disabilities. But, you know, kind of like nobody really pays attention to a law that really has teeth. you know, and people kind of hire who they want to hire and who they like. And I was having a real struggle getting a job. And then I got a job working for the city of New York doing a wheelchair accessibility project where I actually met people with disabilities really for the first time because I didn't really grow up around it. I mean, I was disabled. I was the only disabled person I knew. So I found this community of people, some I like, they're like people like everybody else. Just because you're disabled doesn't make you a good person. (laughs) It just makes you a person with a disability, and I often say that. Like, I get this a lot in my classes. Jessica, I know know somebody who has a disability who's really me. And I say all the time, doesn't make you a nice person. It makes you the same. But anyway, I decided that I really wanted to start my own business. And since I had already met all these people and done all this work in the disability field, and I liked it and I was good at it. So it basically came from just being really frustrated with how little 
people with disabilities really mattered in the corporate setting. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got to do this yeah, work. And it's still like that, right? I mean... Yeah, uh, yeah, it is. I mean, in, in, in the United States, uh, we still have over 60% of working age people with disabilities that are unemployed. Yeah. Over 60%, which to me is a waste of talent. It's a waste of human capacity. And a lot of it has to do with government restrictions, but a lot of it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it has to do with our attitudes towards people with disabilities, how much reasonable accommodations cost, you know, what is, what are the myths and biases and stereotypes that we have towards with disabilities. Like, one of my favorite myths is people with disabilities can't really do the job they apply for. You know, as if blind people are just running around looking for bus driver positions. It's not happening. Yeah. You know, people with disabilities are actually doing the opposite because for every 10 interviews, an able-bodied person has to go on to land that job. People with disabilities have to go on 100 interviews. It takes people with disabilities 10 times longer find a job that an able-bodied person to do. That's incredible. Yeah, that's incredible. So if anything, you're going to look at at the job description and you don't check all the boxes, which most people don't check anyway. And they've actually done studies with men and women with that kind of stuff too, right? Haven't they? I mean, you know, men will will go for jobs that, that don't check like, Maybe 50% of women will be like 90. Yeah, that's right. You know, so that's what I do. But that's a really good point. First of all, I think the first point was, especially for inclusive leaders who want to really build environments that are, that are inclusive of people with disabilities, you don't need a law or a legal framework right. to take action. Right. I mean, this is not it can be a compliance focus, but it doesn't have to. Right. That's really important in this conversation. And the second one is to 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 actually trust people to apply for jobs they feel they can do and are qualified for and not um, not assume the opposite. One of those myths that I know you talk about a lot and in a certain sense, and this is actually what makes me so excited to have you part of our institute, because just how I was able to learn so much from you, I think the the people in our institute and who engage with our institute will also appreciate learning a lot from you, from the, the, the small and big things that you so freely share and the humor that you bring out as well when you do that, which which I, I just want to want to mention this is phenomenal so as we are also coming a little bit to the end of this podcast and i'm i'm, I'm just wondering if there were, were one or two impactful things that our listeners could do that enhances their personal inclusiveness of people with disabilities what would that be and maybe i'll, I'll ask the question on the uh, on the flip side as well what are some of the things people should stop doing uh, because that might get in the way. Okay. One is 
There's an expression, you have two ears and one mouth. You should listen twice as much as you should speak. That's one thing, is we really need to listen to the voices of people with disabilities. We're not a monolith. We don't all sing with the same voice. We're monoliths on on our rights, and but how we get those rights can be very different. And um, listen, learn, and wish I had the third L. Listen, learn, and oh, I have one for you. Listen, learn, and lead. And lead, right. Listen, learn, and lead. So, yes, I mean, those are, are, are my three big things, is to listen, learn, and let the person with the disability lead. And what you shouldn't do is help a person with a disability without asking if they need help first, because it can actually put them in danger. Like my friends who walk with crutches can actually fall if she's leaning on the door to open it and somebody comes along, opens it for her, and she's leaning on it, she could fall. So ask before you help. And one other, and never shout at a blind person. (laughs) (laughs) You have no clue. So one of my friends told me that somebody came up to her once in Penn Station. He's visually impaired. And they came up and then said, your shoelaces are untied. (laughs) Well, first of all, if you were deaf, that wouldn't have helped them anyway. Shouting at deaf people doesn't really help them. It only helps if you're hard of hearing. <laughs> and so, uh, and yelling at a blind person. As a matter of fact, I teach a class called Don't Shout at Me, I'm Blind. <laughs> I can hear you. I love it. Yes. But I mean, but but to go back to the, the simple things people can do, I love I love that actually. I mean, listen better, right? Listen, learn, let people with a disability lead. I think those are really that's really great advice and create environments where that is possible, right? And right. and then to ask before you help, right? I get permission to help, not not just even apply criteria based on on your own personal standards of what help what what help people need, right? Ask for permission. Um, it's a respectful way of actually engaging with everybody, you know. Jessica, thank you so much for sharing this. Like I said, I'm so excited that you'll be part of this. And I know that people will be able to learn a ton from you and we'll make that possible anyway. And I encourage everybody to to actually stay connected to our programming at the Institute so that we can actually figure out all kinds of ways in which people can engage with you and get help from you. Thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. You can sign up for more wherever you get your podcasts. Just look for the Inclusive Leader Podcast. To find out more about the Inclusive Leadership Institute, visit us at www.theinclusiveleadershipinstitute.com. Thank you.